why welcome aboard this vastly colorful and extraordinarily literary rainbow for writers, authors, and storytellers. I'm author B.A. McCray, and this is The Optimistic Author, a positive and insightful tool for writers. What's up, writers, authors, and storytellers? This is a Hello Author episode, and we have author Jason hanging out with us today. How are you, Jason? I'm doing great, thanks. And thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm excited and uh, it's a pleasure to talk with you. Absolutely. Yeah, we got to chat a little bit before we got rocking and rolling. And you're such a nice person. So I'm really happy to have you on here. Well, you are as well. And when we uh, first encountered each other, you had such a good vibe. I knew we'd get along. Oh, that's very nice. Thank you. <laughs> you're also very informational. I, I think your account on TikTok has been one of the most informational ones as far as the writing industry and what to expect when you're a new writer, which is really nice. I hope that newbie writers, when they come on to TikTok, they come across your account because it's one that is trustworthy. Thank you so much for saying that. I hope that um, folks find it as well. I love sharing information and sharing my experience. And there's a lot that goes into learning about publishing, especially self-publishing and writing and just putting it all together. It's just, there's so much information and there were not a whole lot of sort of succinct guides when I was figuring it out myself. And I would love to be able to be a resource for anybody who needs that help because I, uh, in addition to being a writer, I'm a reader and I want people to keep writing really good books for me to read. So if I can help with that, that's what I want. <laughs> yes, I love that pursuit so much. And that's exactly why I started the Optimistic Author as well. When I started, there wasn't a whole lot of resources and not even like really friendly doors to walk through as well to encourage you to write and everything. So I'm glad we're kicking it. Glad we're doing it. Yes, absolutely. We have a shared mission there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Jason, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? And I would love to hear about your fantasy works. And I don't believe that you use a pen name. I potentially in the future could use a pen name if I try to go into a different genre, but uh, so far it's all worked with just my uh, my own name. I, uh, I write epic fantasy and uh, I am currently writing a series called Teshavar, that that's the name of the world where it's set. Uh, the first book is called Akathar's Greatest Trick. It's available now on Amazon. It's on Kindle Unlimited. It's also in paperback and hardcover. And there is a free novella that is a prequel to that, that I'm giving away to anyone who signs up for my newsletter, which is on my website. I have it in my TikTok links and all of that good stuff. And I'm working on the second book in the series now. So it's a, a big thing. Uh, eventually, the series is going to be nine main books in the series, not counting any novellas or things like that that are on the side. So, uh, so it's, it's a big uh, time investment. <laughs> yeah, wow. You must have put so much thought into, I, I would imagine there's a lot of world building involved. Yeah, it is an idea that has kind of been percolating, I guess, in my head for uh, probably most of a decade has been kind of coming together with the different aspects of the world and the central characters and the conflicts and things that happen in the world. And uh, I feel like at this point, I've kind of developed it all out. Uh, a friend who uh, read an early version of the first book said that it was almost like I had developed a campaign setting for a role-playing game <laughs> or something <laughs> because I've gotten so detailed with all that. Yeah. And uh, so... Yeah, so I, I'm really enjoying working within that world, and I probably will have some side stories and uh, spinoff books that take place in it as well, because I just really enjoy storytelling within that setting. 
Wow, that is so cool. I I admire fantasy writers so much because it really is starting from scratch. You have to build everything and there's so much excitement in that. Where where did your inspiration peak from to even get this ball rolling? Well, as far as uh, world building for epic fantasy, I almost feel like I'm kind of cheating because other writers who do contemporary and more realistic stuff, they have to do a lot of research, especially with historical fiction and things like that. With fantasy, you get to, like you were saying, make everything up from the ground up. And if I get something wrong, it doesn't really, there's not really anything to get wrong because (laughs) I'm making it up (laughs) as long as it's all internally consistent. And Yeah, so I I think of it almost as that I have a benefit that uh, some other genres don't have. But uh, as far as inspiration, I I don't really know where my ideas come from. They just come from all over. And I I have far too many ideas to actually write. I uh, have just ideas all the time. I keep a notebook that I have time to write. So I I just sort of (laughs) lock them there. But um, I... I get ideas from all over the place. I um, a lot of times I'll be listening to a podcast, uh, even something like This American Life or something like that. They'll have a story. Uh, actually, while I was writing uh, Akathar's Greatest Trick, I was listening to an episode of This American Life, and they were talking about a heist that somebody pulled, a real world heist. And I was kind of getting into the story. And I was like, you know what? Heists are fun. And then the next <laughs> thing I knew, I had a heist in my book. <laughs> so that's awesome. I feel like you can have much more. Uh, shenanigans. Yeah, so inspiration just comes from from everywhere. There's no uh, one real source. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I like uh, complex plots. I like uh, stories that have a lot of foreshadowing built into them and stories that have uh, depth and complexity within the plot itself. And so uh, that sort of lends itself as well to speculative fiction where you're doing the world building around it because I, a lot of times in building out the plots the way that I want them, I'll realize that there's an aspect of the world that needs to sort of suit the plot. Whereas if I were going in the real world, I would have to make the plot suit the real world. And so, uh, so it lends itself really well to the kind of stories that I like and the kind of complexity that I like to write. Wow. That was a really cool and interesting way to put it, especially for me, not being in the realm, no pun intended, of fantasy writing. And I also think it's really neat and fascinating that real world things can inspire you in a fantasy idea. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Really writing any kind of story, I think any kind of fiction, it boils down to the characters more so than anything else. And you, whether you're writing contemporary realistic fiction, writing romance, writing fantasy or whatever, you have to have the characters that will hook the readers emotionally. And the emotions are human emotions, even if you're writing about elves or goblins or whatever. And Mm -hmm. so even when you're writing about these weird magical worlds or if you're writing sci-fi out in space, it all really boils down to real world emotions. And that's the important thing you have to nail in order order to pull in readers and really get people to believe in your story, it really all does come back to the real world emotions. That is so true. That is the common factor between all genres. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I, I, uh, I do, like I was saying, I plan out my plots and like to have complexity there. But even with that, I still feel like the characters are the most important part of any fiction that you can have a really interesting story and you can have interesting twists. You can have a really expertly crafted mystery or something. But if you don't have the character that will grab the reader, if you don't have the, I'm talking about mysteries, if you don't have the Sherlock Holmes or the Miss Marple or somebody that the reader <laughs> really invests in, then uh, none of the rest of it really works. 
Yeah, that is so true. That's like if you were introduced to somebody and they're like, yeah, they have this crazy history and everything, but then you try to hang out with them and they're pretty bland, not a lot of conversation going on. You're not going to want to stick around. Right, right. <laughs> Especially me with my uh, sort, of, sort of socially avoidant personality. <laughs> 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 I, I feel like most writers are pretty more common than not introverted. Yeah, I call myself an extroverted introvert. And it's kind of funny because I made a video about that and put it on TikTok. <laughs> and <laughs> of all the videos for them to pick up, TED Talks picked up that video and shared it to their like million oh, plus followers. That's so, right. Yeah. So here, here I am uh, telling a million plus people that I'm a, an extroverted introvert while I'm <laughs> lip syncing to Numb Little Bug. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the internet is a wild place. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that though with the introverted extrovert situation. Yeah, I think it's pretty common. <laughs> yes. Well, talking about your writing and everything, if you had to describe your writing style in three words, what would they be? I would say the first one would probably be accessible because I don't like using flowery language just for the purpose of that. I like having very direct prose that it's easy for the reader to get into it and to get into the story. And as the writer, I like making myself as invisible as possible. I don't like to make people stop and look up words. I don't like to confuse people and I'll make them. I, I don't want to present in my story just me saying, look how smart I am. I know these big words. So accessible would be the first one. Um, the second word would uh, probably be diverse because I uh, like to have uh, not just a cast of characters that looks like me, just a, a typical white guy. Like I, I like writing about different uh, types of people, which with it being fantasy, it doesn't have the same sort of cultural connection that it has in the real world and the same sort of racial connection and, and all of that. But I still try to have uh, some sort of representation by having characters who look different from each other, who have different skin colors, who have different uh, sexual orientations. I uh, write about trans characters and I try to yeah. uh, provide diversity there because I, I believe that, uh, that that's an important thing that I, I want for uh, lots of people to be able to connect with the characters in my books as much as I can. And so I, I also try to, I try my best to do it the right way and not to just make assumptions from myself. I try to uh, talk with people who are of, uh, of the uh, backgrounds, things that I'm trying to represent. So, uh, but yeah, diverse, I think would be a second word that I would say. And then uh, the third one, I would probably say intentional because uh, like I was saying, I like to plan out pretty complex plots and set things up way in advance. And so most of the scenes and the actions that I write about have been planned out already. And it's very intentionally driving towards a goal in the story or driving towards a specific thing that I want to reach in the book. And so uh, most of the scenes, most of the interactions with characters are very intentional. Things are worded in specific ways to provide foreshadowing. And so that would be the third word I would say is intentional. I knew that this was going to be a good question for you because you're very articulate and you are very <laughs> determined. I like, I like all the words you used and not to be punny, but they were very intentional as well. The three words that you picked. I love puns. So I'm glad you said that. <laughs> <laughs> nothing like a, nothing like a pun. I, uh, I live on dad jokes. So <laughs> I'm not a dad, but I live on dad jokes. <laughs> yeah, my, uh, I gave my fiance a dad joke calendar, like a tearaway calendar uh, for Christmas and man, have I 
made a monster. <laughs> now he's gotten me into having a dad vibe. And yeah, I am not a father either. <laughs> That's excellent. I love it. <laughs> I really commend you for the diversity that you place in into your books and that you intentionally embed that. And that's another thing that I love about indie writers is that it's become a top priority to apply diversity in books. So thank you for doing that. And I love that. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I, um, I just hope that it lands well with people. I, uh, like I said, I'm very aware of being like cis white guy writing about characters who are not that. And I, the last thing I ever want to do is to do it wrong. I never want to cause harm with anything that I write. And I want to always write from a place of caring and a place of empathy. And I, I just try yeah. to do it right the best I can. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I I have that kind of same uh, self-consciousness and I, I believe it comes from a place of caring, you know, because you want to, like you said, write it the right way and not put words in the mouths of people who identify that way. So I'm sure that it is carried out in the best intentional care. Yeah, thank you. I, I do my best. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a particular system of madness when it comes to your writing process? You kind of touched on it a little bit that you do some planning ahead of time with the complexities of your story. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think most writers are somewhere on the spectrum of between uh, being an outliner and being a uh, pantser or a discovery writer or whatever you would call that. I very much am uh, far on the outliner side. I have to That's outline so every. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have to outline everything in just as much detail as possible. If I sit down and I haven't sufficiently outlined the scene even, or I, I have to have it down to the scene level, I have to know specifically what characters are going to have what conversations and what the outcome is going to be of a scene, even the emotions in the scene. If I sit down to write it without planning that, everything goes wrong. <laughs> it's just, it's not a, a happy writing time. So I, yeah, I, I have to plan all that out just as much as possible. And uh, when I am first structuring my stories, I use uh, a method called the snowflake method to, uh, to first break the stories down. It's a uh, method that a guy named Randy Ingermanson uh, published a book called How to Write a Novel Using the Snowflake Method. And uh, it's, it's an idea that's been around for a while. It's basically that you have a sentence that represents what you want to tell in your story. And then you expand from that into maybe a five sentence paragraph that uh, it deepens that it broadens it and then from there you might expand into uh, five paragraphs you expand each of those sentences you keep sort of fractaling out from that until you have a, a really detailed maybe five page description of your story and I do wow. that process and then I break that down into my outline and I'll go from that point so that's that's sort of my process that I usually use it's a little bit different on every project but that's the basic process that I use Holy buckets. That that wants to that inspires me. Like I want to try to implement that method into the next story that I write. It sounds very how would how would you walk someone through that? Like say I wanted to to do it, what would what would be your pep talk? Um I would say think about for a story, usually when you have an idea for a story, there's a kernel of an idea that you get the most excited about. There's the thing that you really want to write about and you build the rest of the story around that. I would say start with that kernel of an idea and uh, present that, represent that in just a simple sentence. Uh, for example, for, uh, for Akathar's Greatest Trick, the first book in my series, the sentence that I uh, used for that was, it was something like, uh, the great Akathar is the most famous stage magician working in a realm where real magic is outlawed. And so that was just the kernel of the idea. I had that as the sentence. 
And then I uh, took that and I thought, well, what are the plot implications of that? What might the conflict be and uh, what might come up against him, which if he is working as a stage magician in a realm where real magic is outlawed, there is a, a reason that the magic is outlawed. There are people who will be enforcing that and he might fall into conflict there uh, since he's doing a stage show using magic for entertainment. And I sort of started thinking along those lines and I was able to expand that into a five sentence paragraph that sort of walked through the bare bones of what I saw the conflict being with the beginning, middle and end. And then from that, I took each of those sentences and was able to sort of blow that up into its own paragraph. So I ended up with like a page full of text that described the story sort of uh, with five beats. The, uh, the book itself ended up being five parts within the book. And as it turned out, each of those paragraphs corresponds to one of the parts in the book. So even at that point, it was putting the structure together for the story. And if you just keep drilling in, uh, you read what you've written and you think, well, what implications does that have? What further uh, conflicts can I have? What can deepen the story? And just keep expanding that. And uh, like I was saying, sort of fractal that out a bit, then you'll end up with the uh, the five page or however long it is, uh, sort of verbal outline of the story. Then you can take that and figure out what specific chapters and scenes you need and break it into that. I'm not sure if that's clear enough or if that helps. No, that was super clear. And I think that's a really a really interesting challenge for those who maybe aren't typically into planning because I feel like a lot of details can come out of that yeah. developing that yeah yeah definitely and the, even doing the the planning as much as I do and doing the outlining as much as I do there always are for example a scene that I was writing last night for my current book I've outlined the whole thing in detail but when I hit that I realized there was one uh, important character that's only going to be there for one scene but I had not named that character and I didn't have a description for them they were just there to serve a purpose in that scene and so uh, that kind of thing I still have to come up with off the top of my head so there's a little bit of discovery writing I guess that happens at that point right. but as far as the main beats and the structure and everything all of that's planned out. Do you feel like the writing process goes a little more smoothly for you? Have you or is this the only type of like writing that you've done? For me, I, I have tried doing discovery writing before. I've tried doing pantsing and that I've never been able to finish anything that way because I have to have in my mind an idea of where things go in order to direct the story in that direction and do the kind of uh, details, the kind of lead ends that I want to and to uh, provide uh, the proper kind of ramping up of emotion and action in order to get to where I need to go. So when I have done discovery writing, that's never worked out for me. It's just been gibberish by the time I was finished with it. <laughs> so uh, with this, I, I feel like doing the outlining method that I do, it helps me to get something finished uh, with writing, but it also, I think, cuts down the editing time a lot because I know a lot of people will uh, sort of discovery write the first draft. And then in doing that, they'll figure out what they want the story to be. And mm -hmm. then the revision process takes a lot longer as they're rewriting everything. Thing. And I've, uh, in talking with other writer friends, I, I found that my editing process goes a lot uh, more smoothly, at least at the beginning, because I already ha have the story and I don't have to do a whole lot of really in-depth rewriting. I'll maybe rewrite a scene here or there, but for the most part, my first draft when I finish, at least structurally, is the same as it's going to be when it's published. Wow, yeah. Well, that really turns me towards using that method or at least trying it. I feel like it would also lessen the possibility of like potholes coming up, which I've seen. I haven't experienced that, but I've seen quite a few authors go through that. And it, I, my heart just kind of drops for them because I can't imagine that happening. 
Yeah, yeah, the plot hole thing is uh, is definitely a fear. I At this point, I have done sort of rudimentary outlines for all nine of the main books in my series because I oh my have specific- gosh, Jason, that's crazy. <laughs> that's so impressive. Yeah. I, I, I kind of had to, to begin with, because each book is building a part of the story and I needed to know uh, specifically where everything was going and what to foreshadow, what to lead towards and what uh, hints and clues to drop here and there. And, uh, but of course I haven't done full in-depth uh, outlines for all the books yet. I do those as I go along, but, uh, but yeah, I, I try to plan just as much as I can in advance. And then I really rely on those plans. And I've had writer friends ask me if uh, they've said that they've tried outlining before, but when they start actually writing their characters kind of go off script and start doing their own things. They've asked me if I have that problem. And I, I think I'm kind of an authoritarian with my characters. <laughs> that once I have the outline, I'm like, no, you're going to stay here. You're going to do exactly what I tell you to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I, I've also heard the characters having a mind of their own thing and definitely have experienced that. But I, I like the, the term you just used. The, nope, you're going to stay in this line. Right. <laughs> Got to keep them in line. <laughs> yes. Have you ever had, um, when you're writing and kind of a side character stays a little longer than you expected, or have you had any discoveries like that while you're writing that have surprised you? It, it has happened, but it hasn't been while I was actually writing. It's been after the fact. Uh, it was kind of interesting. When I wrote the first book, I uh, gave it to the beta readers after I finished the draft, and I had things pretty well finished with it. And uh, almost universally, the beta readers came back, and their favorite character, uh, well, uh, to give you some uh, uh, some perspective on it, I, I use multiple POVs in my books. I, uh, oh, I think cool. the first one has maybe like, like eight POVs, maybe that it switches between, which is uh, it's a lot, but it's kind of typical for epic fantasy. But there was this one particular character that I liked the character, but I didn't realize this. Uh, after it came back from beta, she was the beta reader's universally favorite character and oh, was kind wow. of the breakout character for the book. And I, I didn't anticipate that. Yeah, I didn't anticipate it. And so uh, after I realized that everybody liked her in particular, I started looking at her character and figuring out what it was that was likable and what made her work. And at that time, I was writing the novella that's going to be that was the prequel that was going to be the one I give away for free. Mm -hmm. And I figured out that it was a perfect opportunity to put her back into things so she's in the prequel novella because the beta readers liked her so much and she became a bigger character than she otherwise might have been so I haven't really had a character take over while I'm writing but it definitely influenced putting her into a story that she might not have really factored into. Wow that is so cool and what a what an enriching experience for you as an author to receive that kind of feedback that's something you didn't think was going to take off as much as it did really had an impact on the readers. Yeah, it was so exciting to hear that. And it's been kind of funny after coming to TikTok, I have uh, have gotten a lot more readers since coming to TikTok. I've gotten a lot more exposure uh, on TikTok than I've ever gotten anywhere before. It's just wild. But mm -hmm. uh, some of the readers on TikTok have picked as their favorite characters, one of the primary antagonists from the first book, which I guess bad guys are big on TikTok. <laughs> so that's that's been kind of surprising too, because I didn't think this character had any redeeming qualities. <laughs> <laughs> right. Really shouldn't be a crowd favorite, but man, he's just so charismatic. <laughs> or something. <laughs> something. I agree. TikTok has been where I've gotten the most yeah. interactions and just meeting other writers and readers. And I was not expecting that when I signed up for it. 
Yeah, it's been just wild. I have tried all different social media and I've never really clicked with Twitter or Instagram or having a Facebook page. I have all those things because it's expected for a writer to have all that. But mm -hmm. I resisted TikTok for a long time just because I had a misconception of what it was. I thought it was just where kids go and do dances and I, I didn't <laughs> really know about all the communities. And then I heard that it, yeah, I heard about uh, Book Talk that it was sort of the place where new books are breaking out where people are discovering things to read. And and so when I came into TikTok, I started in January of this year, it was towards the end of January, I made my account. And I think it was with uh, the way I've described it to people, I came in, I think, with a little bit of a, a capitalist mindset that I'm going to come here, I'm going to sell my book, I'm going to find people to read it. And then when I arrived, I realized that it wasn't that kind of place. It's the kind of place that you go and you make friends and you have a community and you foster the community and make and, and that has worked out really well for me. I, um, I do make occasional videos where I'll hold up my book or I'll talk about it or something like that. But most of the videos that I make on TikTok are either just silly viral sound videos <laughs> or they are uh, giving writing tips or something like that. And just through doing that, I've been able to build up such a great community. And uh, the folks that are following me, a lot of them have gone and then sought out my books. So it has worked out really well. It's sort of marketing without marketing. I love that. Yes. I've tried to think of a way from uh, a term for myself on how you know, that works and it's marketing without marketing is the best way I could describe it. Yeah, I, I think that represents it really well because there are some people who come and um, do the traditional kind of thing that they will make every video that they make is specifically about selling their book and they're very driven in that way and they want to make the sales, which I totally get that. That was what I was expecting to do when I got here. But I just, I feel like it's much more effective to be authentic and to be available to people and to be a friend and to be a resource. And when you do that, I feel like it kind of comes back to you if you expect to give more more than you get back. I feel like that really comes back to you. Yeah, I totally agree. And you, you get more authenticity brought back to you. And it's so neat to make all of these new friends and that TikTok becomes its own unique experience. Absolutely. I've made so many friends on here. I, um, I have so many followers at this point that it wouldn't, uh, I, I don't think in a lifetime I could really know each and every individual follower. But among those followers, the people who've really reached out to me and have communicated with me, I feel like I've made real friends on TikTok. And it's not wow. just uh, sort of social media people that I just see. I, I feel like I've made real connections. And, um, and I count you among those friends as well. So I'm glad we oh, connected. Yeah, me too. I, I also agree. I, I uh, smile and laugh when you comment on the videos, especially when you noticed uh, the type of songs that I use, that we have similar music taste. That's very cool. Yes, absolutely. You have excellent taste in music, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, before I ask this next question, I would love to ask if you could, you don't have to go super in depth, but if you could tell us a little bit about your first book. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the, the overall series is set in a world called Teshavar. And Teshavar, uh, as I was saying, is a realm where uh, real magic exists, but it's outlawed. It is ruled by an ancient uh, despot who is actually a sorcerer who uh, controls pretty much everything. And uh, the first book is, uh, it's not a typical fantasy quest story. It's not the sort of realm spanning thing. It's a tighter story that it all takes place within one city. It's a large city within Teshavar called Clubridge. And uh, the uh, title character, Akathar, is a stage magician 
friend that has been working in Clue Bridge, having a stage show for about 10 years at the time the book starts. And it's at his theater that uh, several of the characters that are in the troupe are point of view characters. And it's about them trying to, um, to run their theater and have their shows, have their performances. At the same time that there is conflict in the realm of the, uh, uh, he's called the High Lord uh, Peregrine, who is the ruler that has uh, outlawed all magic, has a group of mage hunters that are dispatched to find a certain uh, thing. They're hunting for mages, essentially, and they come to Clubridge. And uh, the, the theater troupe falls into the middle of this uh, hunt for mages that's going on, and there's a lot of conflict and drama that happens around that. Uh, the story has uh, mystery in it. It has suspense, uh, high fantasy. The world is a, uh, a gas lamp sort of fantasy setting, so it's a uh, sort of cross between high fantasy and almost like Victorian setting. And oh, uh, there's cool. a lot of weird technology and engineering in it and, uh, and a heist, as I said. So, mm -hmm. uh, so it has all those elements. And that's, that's the first book in the series. And then the second one that I'm working on right now uh, sort of picks up right where the last one left off. Uh, there's not a cliffhanger ending for the first one. I know a lot of people are put off by that. It's a self-contained story. But the second one picks up uh, right where the first one left off and continues forward with the story. That's super cool. I, uh, book talk has definitely pulled me into the fantasy genre because before I wasn't completely intrigued by it. I don't know why I just I really wasn't but um, an author Monroe Wildrose sent me her fantasy book and I read it and I fell in love with it and now I just want to consume all the fantasy of indie authors so your book sounds super intriguing. Thank you. I appreciate that. And yeah, uh, fantasy can seem a little bit daunting to get into at first yeah. because with epic fantasy, especially, which is the genre that I write in, the books tend to be just huge because of all the world building and because they tend to be multiple POVs. And every, every uh, point of view character that you add into a book substantially increases the length of the book. So when I have like seven or eight in mind, that's going to make it a, a, a chunky fellow there. <laughs> it's going to be quite a big one. <laughs> and um, that can be kind of intimidating if you're not used to reading fantasy. But uh, hopefully, uh, if, if you try mine or if anyone tries mine, I, I try very hard to make it accessible. And I try not to do a lot of uh, dumping of knowledge with the world building. I try to introduce it uh, sort of piecemeal so that it's, it's sort of baby steps into my fantasy world. I like that you're considerate about the reader and whether, whether the reader is uh, experienced in fantasy or they are a newbie like me. Uh, I like that you're considerate of the different readers you may have. Yeah, that's really important to me because I have read a lot of books before that even being someone who has read a lot of fantasy, a lot of sci-fi, and a lot of things with lots of world building and details and that kind of thing, I've read books before that I would get like three chapters in and not have understood anything that was going on. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I don't want to give a reader that experience. I want to be as accessible as possible. I want to, I just want to get out of the way as the author and let the reader get to the story and understand the story because the world building and all of that is really just set dressing for the conflicts and for mm -hmm. the character development. Those are the most important things that I want to get across to the reader, uh, the character development, the conflicts, everything else that's around that is just setting for that. And I don't want the setting to get in the way of what's important either. So, uh, so yeah, it's very important to me to make everything as accessible as possible. Right. I, I like the term that you use stepping as an author, stepping out of the way for the reader. And I think that is one of the elements of the books that really get to us, that we remember and hold dear to us. 
Yeah, I, I hope so. I enjoy reading books that are accessible like that. Uh, one of my favorite current fantasy writers who has, <clears throat> excuse me, who has been a big inspiration to me is Brandon Sanderson. And I feel like my uh, sort of story crafting as well as some of my stylistic uh, writing is uh, influenced by him a lot because he's very accessible in his language and his writing. He doesn't uh, go super flowery. He does have a lot of crazy, he has a lot of just wild world building with his, um, his, his books. He has a series called The Stormlight Archive. That The first book in it is called The Way of Kings. And it's a book that right at the very beginning has a super steep learning curve. And once you get past that, you're kind of into the world and understand how things work. But it's, um, it's the only one of his that I've read that really has that steep learning curve. And uh, I like it a lot. It's, it's as clear as he could do to get people into the story and into his world. But uh, even, even that, I try to avoid even that level of, uh, of learning curve. I try to just sort of ease people in so they know what's going on and can, can get up to speed as quickly as possible. Sure, yeah. Well, I really like that. And I'm learning a lot about the fantasy genre and I appreciate that. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm here to help. <laughs> <laughs> well, knowing a little bit about your, your books, I have a fun question for you. Who of your characters could you see being in some kind of reality show competition if they were brought into our realm? And do you think they would win? I am going to situate this sort of in survivor because that's the one that I'm most familiar with yeah. and um I can I can sort of imagine how three of them would do with it there is uh, the character that I was telling you that's the antagonist that a lot of people on book talk liked his name is Lucian Geik I think he would be the one that would scheme and he would throw everybody's supplies in the fire and pretend it wasn't him and he uh, he would just try to do whatever he could do to step on other people to get ahead <laughs> and he but I think he ultimately would lose I think he would be uh, he would try to get a little bit too clever I don't think it'll work out for him uh, the second character that comes to mind is is the one that was uh, sort of the breakout character from the first book that uh, everybody liked. It's a, uh, a girl named Fairy. She is a, uh, a street urchin and sort of a street thief. And uh, I think that uh, she would be one that would try to take care of the weaker competitors and would kind of scheme against the stronger ones. And uh, I think she would have a good shot, but ultimately I think she'd get in over her head. And so I, I don't think she would quite win it. Uh, the one that I think would probably win it is one of my other viewpoint characters. Her name is Samira. And I think she probably would win because she's the manager of the theater where the magic act takes place. And okay. she is, uh, she's compassionate, but she's also very pragmatic. And she's, she's used to running a business and managing people. And I feel like she could get everything going her way and uh, wouldn't have to do anything too awful to get there. And so I, I think she might have the best chance of winning out of those. <laughs> I really liked this character breakdown. I feel like I have a little peek into who they are. Yeah, yeah. And uh, those are all, those are actually three out of the seven or eight viewpoint characters. <laughs> so there are still lots more to go. <laughs> wow, that's so neat. Do you have a particular guide when you are developing or like creating your characters? Like some people will have questions that they ask themselves as an author, even if that information doesn't necessarily go into the book, but it helps you as the author know your character better? Do you have a process like that? I have a, a sort of character questionnaire kind of thing that I, I kind of apply to each character. I don't fully fill it out for every character because there are certain aspects that don't really, I feel like don't really come into play as much for every character as they do for oh, other sure. ones. But it, it 
yeah, it still is, uh, is useful to know things like the character, different aspects of the character's backgrounds, even if it doesn't go into it in the book. It influences how they might react to things in the present and things like uh, what they hold important as their aspirations. Or uh, I, I think when I'm writing a character, it doesn't matter if it's a viewpoint character or if it's a secondary character or a protagonist or antagonist. Every character that I write needs to be written as if they are the main character in their own story, because that's how they think of themselves. Right, they prioritize. Yeah. Yeah, they prioritize their own needs and wants and desires, and they're going to be going through this um, not just to serve the main plot, not just to serve the main character or whoever has the point of view at that time. They need to believably have their own issues, and they need to have their own desires and their own goals, which uh, often will come in conflict with whatever the main uh, story goals are. And that can make the characters feel more real, but it also can create some new conflicts that sort of deepen the meaning of the story. And so I, that's, yeah. that's sort of what I go into it thinking is that every character is the main character in their own story. That is some excellent advice. And I think that it makes the the story stronger as a whole, because like you said, every character is like more believable and it gives them so much depth. Yeah, I, I and I enjoy doing that too, because I feel like when I approach it from, from that perspective, it gives me a better perspective and more understanding of each of the characters, as opposed to just going in and focusing on a few characters that are the leads and then everyone else is there just to serve them, because mm -hmm. that uh, doesn't feel as real to me and it doesn't give me as much to work with. So it helps to really approach it from that perspective. Yeah. And thank you for giving that perspective to me and to anybody who's listening. That really inspires me. And I'm going to, I'm going to embed that in my future writing. So thank you for that. Absolutely. I hope it helps. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Speaking of advice, do you have any sage words of wisdom that you would like to drop to anybody listening? Yeah. The biggest piece of advice that I give to anyone who wants to be a writer and has the biggest piece of advice is to just finish the first draft because there are so many people who will start writing something and they will get distracted by another project or life will get in the way or something will happen and they just never finish that first draft. And it, it sounds very elementary, it sounds very obvious, but you can't publish and, and you can't edit, you can't do anything until you have finished that first draft. Mm -hmm. And so that's, the, that's really the whole secret to writing. Uh, I saw a statistic that 97% of people who start writing a book never finish it. So that's only 3%. That's like about 30 people out of every thousand. Yeah, like 30 people out of every thousand who start writing a book actually finish the first draft. So if you push ahead, if you just try to get a few words down every day and just are consistent and persistent with it and reach the end of that draft, you're already in the top 3% of writers at that point. And you are so much farther along the path than everyone else toward getting your book done that, that just being persistent and consistent and finishing that first draft is the biggest advice that I can give anybody. That's so encouraging, especially with the statistics that you added along with that. Wow, thank you. Do you have any affirmations that yeah. you tell yourself to get through the first draft? Yeah, ab absolutely. And this was one of the most important pieces of advice that I was given myself in writing. And this is how I get through every draft. And it's, <laughs> it's not really an affirmation. It's kind of the opposite. It's kind of, I don't know what the opposite of an affirmation would be. <laughs> but when I'm writing, when I'm writing a first draft, 
I constantly tell myself that it's supposed to be garbage, that the first draft is not supposed to be good. And uh, I shouldn't judge myself while I'm writing it that anything I put down in the first draft is probably going to get rewritten, it's going to get edited, it's going to get changed later. So the important thing is just to get the words down however they fall on the page. And the way that I kind of think of it myself, I was, I was told that as advice, but then the way that I sort of interpret it is if you're making a sculpture, the first step in that is you have to sort of throw the clay down on the table and just kind of pound it into submission and then start <laughs> shaping things out of it. And writing the first draft is just slapping the clay down and sort of mangling it into the initial shape that you want it. And then once you get that, then in revisions and editing, you can shape it into what you actually want it to be. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's sort of the opposite of an affirmation, but I think it's important when you're writing the first draft, not to be critical of it, to just keep in mind that almost no first drafts are good, that first drafts are supposed to be bad and you just need to get through it and then go back and do the revisions to turn it into the book that you want it to be. Yeah, I I like that too. I don't know what the opposite is of an affirmation, but it's a it's like a message that helps take the pressure off of you, especially if you happen to be a perfectionist or something. It can be extremely daunting to sit down and write in the first draft knowing, well, this isn't even going to be good. I got to rewrite it or just hyper analyzing on certain scenes and getting burnt out in the end and not finishing. So I like yeah. that. It takes the pressure off of the whole first draft process. Yeah, it's it's very important to give yourself permission to write badly. And I think that's the key to getting through. And I think that's probably what weeds out a lot of the 97% of people that don't finish their first draft is they will realize that the scenes they're writing initially are not good scenes. They'll realize that it's not like they want the book to be. And they maybe don't think ahead to the opportunity they'll have, the opportunity that they'll have later to revise it and to make it into what they want. They'll just see it as it currently is. And that frustrates them and they give up on it. But you need to give yourself permission to be a bad writer in the first draft because almost everybody is. I like that. Give yourself permission. Yeah, I think that's very important. Yeah, thank you for spreading spreading all of that knowledge. And yeah, I think that will help some people. It's helped me. I really, I really appreciate the advice that you've given. So thank you. Absolutely. I appreciate it. It makes, uh, it makes me feel good whenever I can, uh, can help with anything like that, because it has taken me a long time to come around to these kind of realizations and to allow myself to write poorly and to try to uh, get these stories together. And so I, uh, it makes me very happy to be able to share that and to, uh, to be helpful. Yeah, thank you. And I know that more people are going to find your stuff and take your advice and run with it. And I will be sure to leave your social media in this podcast episode show notes, but would you like to tell everyone where they can follow you for your writing journey and find your works? Sure. My website is just my name. It's Jason Doro. The last name is D-O-R-O-U-G-H.com. And uh, the social media that I'm most active on is TikTok. I uh, recently got a little more active on Twitter again. I also have a Facebook page and Instagram and all that stuff. But TikTok is really sort of the central hub of everything that I do. And so if you, uh, if you go to my website, there are links to everything. And you can also on the website, you can find where you can sign up for my mailing list and get the free novella that way. So, um, so yeah, that's sort of the, uh, the central place you can find everything. Uh, cool. I, yes, I'll definitely leave all of those links in the show notes and I highly encourage people to go and click on them because great content and an amazing friend. 
thank you so much. Well, back at you, I am so glad that we connected and that uh, that we've gotten to know each other through TikTok and now through this. So thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And I sincerely believe that the advice and information that you spread is helping a lot of writers, whether it's their first book they're working on or a series. So thank you for all of the work that you put in and the good energy that you put out into the wild depths of the internet. Absolutely. I, I look forward to uh, folks maybe uh, making good use of it and writing things better than I can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're all just looking for more books to throw on the world's shelves. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much again for coming on. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you again. And I hope you have a great day. Thank you. You too. And fellow writers, keep creating, reading, and smiling and stay groovy.